Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got an interesting item. If you'll take a look over here, I have uh, picked up this box from our shelf, and we'll set it, set it down and take a look inside as I open it up. It is a rather unusual item it may look like an ordinary stick from some twisted bough of a tree but it is more than just that if you look back in antiquity this may have been an implement of magic a wand if you will used by ancient sorcerers now of course this is quite ancient and i'm quite sure the magic is all but gone from this relic but i don't know if one concentrated hard enough and vocalized the right incantation, maybe we could pull a little more magic out of it. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Disney Plus series, Willow. So the film Willow came out in 1988. I was probably 14, maybe not quite 14, my early teens about that time. And of course, always a fan of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I was really excited about the movie. It was one of those times when uh, a trailer would come on TV. They do a TV spot for a movie. And just uh, back when trailers were done so uh, so well and and really made you excited about a movie and I was so excited about this and once I finally watched Willow I fell in love with it quite instantaneously I, I loved Val Kilmer as Mad Mart again Warwick Davis of course at, at that time it was well known that he played uh, Wicket in the Return of the Jedi so I, I just loved this movie and it's one of those movies for me that I check out every once in a while and and just you know I'm filled with all of the same awe that I did the first time I watched it it's it's one of those movies where it just has those moments uh, that moment where Mad Mardigan finally gets a sword and he starts cutting through uh, Bav Morda's troops and uh, General Kale's troops and Willow has that line you are great that just fills you up with awe and and gives you chills down your spine it's just one of those movies and james horner's fantastic score makes the emotion well up in you as you're watching this film so i have a great love for the 1988 film willow is it one of my favorite movies of all time is it the greatest movie of all time no i'm not i'm not that much of a mark but i i do really love this when it comes to fantasy films uh, especially from the 80s this is one of my favorites because one it does have action it does have adventure it has all those elements that you get in a fantasy film a dungeons and dragons -y type film it does have a, a little bit of humor to it but it was done so right uh such a nice balance of everything and that's kind of where the standard is. The bar is set by the film. And does this new series on Disney+, Plus, the Willow series, 
does it meet that bar? Does it exceed that bar? I, I don't know. The expectations were really high. I was I was quite intrigued by the fact that they were going to do this. I thought Willow is a film that probably should have had at least a sequel at some point, uh, but they never did that. I know there was talk of of story that that George Lucas came up with about where the story would go from the end of Willow on. And it just never came to fruition. But but now we've got this series, and I was excited to see where the tale of Willow, where the tale of Alora Dan, and where the tale of Mad Mardigan and Sorsha uh, went from where we left off at the at the end of Willow. I was also excited because Jonathan Kasdan was attached to this. And Jonathan Kasdan, I, I had a lot of respect for him as far as uh, a writer. You know, he and, and his father, Lawrence Kasdan, who of great Star Wars fame, they co-wrote the Solo movie, which I was a big fan of it, even though a lot of critics... Uh, uh, we're kind of wishy-washy on it, and it didn't do as well in the box office. I, I don't think that was the movie's fault, but he was a part of that. So I was excited about his involvement in this as well. I tried not to listen to any reviews or critiques of the, the first couple episodes once they released those. Uh, they released the first two episodes on the same day, and then each uh, episode after that uh, individually throughout the, the coming weeks. And I tried not to listen to any reviews or anything before I finally sat down. And as soon as I hit play, I was so excited. And that is essentially where my excitement for the Willow series ended. Because I quickly realized this is a TV series that is made for the wrong generation. So let's talk about that. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to have a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't watched the Willow TV series on Disney+, Plus, go watch it. And then come back and listen to my thoughts and see if they jive with what you're thinking about it. If you have watched it and you want to hear what I think, maybe see if it coincides or if it's completely opposite of what you feel. I've talked to a lot of people who have watched this series and some love it, some hate it. I don't know where you sit on it, but you're going to see in the next, you know, however long this this podcast episode takes, whether, whether I agree with you or not or whether we agree with each other or not. But I encourage you, Go watch it for yourself, then come back and listen to this podcast. If you've already seen it or you don't give a shit about spoilers and all that nonsense, uh, then we're going to continue on. But there are spoilers uh, from here on out. So the basic premise of this is that 17 years after Queen Bathmordo was defeated, this group of heroes sets off to defeat these, these entities called the Gales and go on essentially a rescue mission. Uh, but we find out there's a bigger threat along the way, and we find out that people aren't necessarily who we thought they were along the way. And, and we'll dive into the nuts and bolts of that, the particulars of that. I'm, not, I'm being vague on purpose, even though I said we were going to have spoilers. But I want to talk about the, the individual characters, uh, at least the main characters that we get through this as we're introduced to them. And while we don't see her as a main character, she's actually more of a secondary character that we don't really see that much of other than the first episode and the last episode, is Joanne Whaley, who plays uh, Sorsha in the original Willow film. She is Queen Sorsha now. 
now. She is ruling Tirasleen. Her husband, Mad Mardigan, has gone off on a quest and was never seen again. So nobody really knows the fate of Mad Mardigan. And I heard a lot of people uh, complaining, well, they don't have Mad Mardigan in this. Well, he is in this in spirit, quite literally, to some degree. But I get why they didn't include Mad Mardigan, because Val Kilmer's not been in the best health in recent years. That's just the the sad fact of it. Uh, I know he was able to show up in Top Gun Maverick, but that's a different kind of movie. This is an action adventure. Mad Mardigan is is the hero. He's the hero type figure. And if you can't do that, then then don't do that to the character and don't do that to the actor. So I understand why they kept Mad Mardigan out of this. And and maybe at some point in the not too distant future, if there is a second season of Willow, uh, the series, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll get a cameo from Val Kilmer. I can understand why they didn't have him in this. Now, we're introduced to Sorsha and Mad Mardigan's two children. They have twins. There's Princess Kit, played by Ruby Cruz, and Prince Eric, played by Dempsey Brick. And I like how they named him, his character, Eric. Uh, of course, uh, that is Mad Mardigan naming his son after the Eric character from the original Willow movie, played by uh, Gavin O'Herlihy. And for being children of probably one of the coolest iconic heroes of 80s fantasy these two characters were just pretty much insufferable the princess kit character is just very cocky and and that's kind of the thing about strong female characters today everybody overcorrects i get that especially fantasy but fantasy horror science fiction especially fantasy and horror i would say uh, probably two genres that haven't practiced much diversity over the decades uh they haven't practiced much diversity and it's been a male led genre where you know especially in fantasy where men are the heroes and and i get that disney is very socially aware and that they're trying to you know right the wrongs uh, i use wrongs in quotation marks because you know it was what it was just because the heroes were all guys back in the day doesn't mean it's wrong to have guys as heroes today just as long as you have a nice mix i think you know having guy heroes girl heroes white heroes black heroes uh indian heroes uh asian heroes i i think diversity is a good thing but when you have entities like disney that are trying to course correct and they overcorrect by making every hero a woman or every hero minority and the male characters are kind of relegated to doofy bumbling idiots uh, they're the only flawed character roles. It's, uh, come on, it's a bit ridiculous. And and in this sense, with the Kit character, if they wrote this character as it's portrayed as a male, this guy would be an asshole that nobody likes and wouldn't be the hero in any story. But Disney and studios like that think that if they put these ad- attributes on a female, it makes them strong and empowered. And it doesn't. It just makes... It makes this female character look just like it would if it were a male character. A fucking asshole. There's nothing empowering about putting other people down to make yourself look bigger and better. I I just don't understand why the need to make strong female characters that if they were a guy, they would be a fucking dickhead. But that's what they did with this Kit character. She's not very likable. She's kind of a brat. 
And much like everyone else in the cast, I just don't want to root for her. And I feel bad because I, I don't think Ruby Cruz is a bad actress. I just don't think she was given anything to work with here. She was given a horrible character and had to act horribly. Not act horribly, but um, in her actions, say and do horrible things. And it, it really didn't do her as an actress any justice because uh, I think she's better than this role. Same with Dempsey Brick as Eric. I, I, you know, he looks like the young, leading, dashing man. He looks like he could be the hero. But then, of course, Disney had to, to flip the script and we're going to do things different. Girl power. And instead of rescuing the princess, we're going to rescue the prince. He is abducted by these gales and they spend the whole series trying to rescue Prince Eric, which, you know, that that's fine. I, I, I It's a little heavy handed with the, you know, we're we're subverting expectations and and doing things from a different point of view. Okay, whatever. I get that. And I didn't mind that he was abducted. I just didn't like the character at all. The character had this great quality of having, you know, he looked like he could have been a young Val Kilmer's son. Uh, I, I I really loved the casting as far as the looks. He looked like he was Mad Mardigan's son. And he had the dashing look. But he was just so doofy and bumbling. And he's, you know, trying to get into every girl in the kingdom's whatever passes for medieval fantasy panties. Kind of one of those guys that'll tell a girl whatever she wants to hear to try and get with them. And, and I didn't like that character. If you're doing things different and having the the female lead kit's going to be the hero of this that's fine but but don't reduce one of the only guys to this doofy bumbling buffoon of a character especially when it's mad mardigan's son and there again dempsey brick i i don't think he did a bad job i just think the character is written so horribly it wasn't until the the last episode they actually gave the character some lines to show some emotion some real fire that dempsey brick pulled it off and i was like oh i i like this character i mean he was more of a bad guy at the time but but like this is interesting to me that other shit wasn't interesting the lover boy shit and the the bumbly uh dreamy you know whatever that wasn't interesting to me but what he became later was was a little more interesting and that fire you saw in that that final showdown well, not final showdown but there was a showdown between kit and and another character we'll talk about and eric he had oh man he had some it was only like a line but it really had some emotion some flair and some some passion to it that dempsey brick pulled off but they only had that one scene with this character doing anything but just being doofy it felt like john heater how he looks in normal life but still doing the napoleon dynamite shtick that's what prince eric felt like to me then there's the character Jade, played by Aaron Kellyman. And I, it's not that I think she's a bad actress, but Disney has such a boner for her that it's it's almost embarrassing. Uh, I don't think she's a bad actress. I don't think she's a great actress. Uh, she just, you know, all of her characters just feel one note kind of milk toast to me. Uh, it's not to say that, I mean, she's very young as an actress, so she's going to grow as an actress. And and I think she'll be a very good actress. I, I just, I don't see why they have to have her in everything. And, and this character was, 
was much of the same. She's a knight in training. She is, it turns out, the long-lost daughter of General Kale, um, which we find out probably about halfway through the series. Doesn't matter. (laughs) It didn't matter. It didn't make me care any more or any less. But she's this knight in training. All she wants to do is prove herself and be, uh, I don't know, the first female knight or what have you. None of it really matters. I, I didn't care about any of it because... Uh, she didn't give me any emotion to make me want to care about this Jade character. There again, like I said, not that she's a bad actress. It just it wasn't enough to make me care about this character. And there's a love interest between uh, Jade and Princess Kit that was just kind of, oh, just consummate this already. It felt like from the first scene of these two together, I'm like, oh, they're going to be lesbians. Uh, and, and not that that's a bad thing, but they drew this out. Are they, aren't they sort of tease? And like, they obviously are into each other. They're obviously both want to get together. And it was very Dawson's Creek about the whole thing where it just drug outs. Will they, won't they, uh, like fucking Dawson and Joey. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed that I, <laughs> that I know anything about Dawson's Creek. Uh, my brother made me watch it. My younger brother. I'm going to blame him. The only bright spot about the Jade character is that they didn't give her any of the shitty jokes to to spew out. Uh, and that may be because, like I said, Aaron Kellyman, uh, okay actress, just, just not, just doesn't feel like there's any charisma there to even pull off the jokes. So they probably just didn't give her any just because of that. Another character played by is Prince Graydon, played by Tony Revolori. Uh, who I, I like him. I, I like him as an actor. I think, uh, you know, you've known him from all the, the Spider-Man movies, uh, plays Flash in that. I, I thought that was not a good casting. I didn't like, I don't like their take on Flash. I didn't like the take on Flash in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. I want Flash Thompson from, from the comic books. But as an actor, I think Tony Revolori uh, does a good job with the reimagining of the Flash Thompson character in the new Spider-Man movies. I think he's a fine young actor. In this, he plays a Prince of Galadorn, Prince Graydon. Uh, he is betrothed to Kit in this farce of a marriage because she's into chicks, but he plays the sensitive male. And, you know, because you can't have uh, any strong males, if it's going to take the spotlight away from all the strong females. But yeah, he plays the sensitive type. He's more into playing his flute, playing his flute, not playing with his flute, although he may do that as well. But he's one of these guys that, yeah, he's very sensitive, uh, very book smart, fancies himself wishing he was a wizard. And the actor does a good job with this. Uh, The character, again, is a little... Uh, if, if anything, I, I was going to say milk toast, but he's not milk toast. He's just very uh, downplayed. It's a, it's a very subdued character that is not stepping on the toes of all the females in the spotlight. They, they really keep this character kind of subdued. You do feel for him because there is a love interest between him and another character that we haven't talked about. And uh, it sometimes it almost feels like an unrequited love. Uh, sometimes it feels like an unrealized love, an re- unrealized connection between this other character. And the, the fate of him which we'll kind of talk about a little bit later because I'm going to talk about the at least the finale in in a little more detail. But uh, you almost feel 
some emotion for this character, which you don't feel for any of the other characters. And I have to do, I have to say that the, it, it is in part how it's written. It's also in part Tony Revolori's portrayal of this character uh, do give you some, some emotion to, to feed off of. You do kind of feel bad for this character in some regards and you you care about the character in some regards one of the only excuses for a strong male uh, character in this is uh, Thraxus Borman played by uh, Amar Chada Patel which I, I really like his performance in this uh, Amar Chada Patel probably one of the few characters that that really acts with any sort of charisma in this and the character however is written it's written interestingly, but he is, and I've heard him even in interviews describing it as the the tall warrior that makes jokes. And I'm sure that's how it was pitched to him. Is and it's essentially he's the tall, you know, warrior swordsman. He looks like he's going to be a tough guy. He looks like he's he looks like he's a hero in this, and and he is to a degree. But he's a very flawed hero. He is in this what one would consider a rogue for for all you D and D fans out there. Uh, even though he does carry a big cleavery looking sword, but he's a thief. He's imprisoned when we meet him. Uh, Sorsha though has a relationship with him because we find out that uh, Borman was once Mad Mardigan's squire, but he's gone on to become a thief and a treasure hunter and a sellsword, so to speak. And the coolness of this character is undermined by the need for them to constantly have him using shitty one-line jokes. And it just is, it's insufferable at times. The actor, Amar Chana Patel, does a good job with this, with what he's given. But when all you're given is is stupid one-line jokes, you're, you're cracking all the time. I guess it does make you appreciate the moments where he does actually get to do some dramatic acting. Uh, and he does a fantastic job with that. I, I really like this character. I wanted to like this character more, but, but the writers just wouldn't let me because they just constantly used him as a, a way to inject humor into a show that had too much humor injected into it in the first place. Case in point, and, and I'll talk about some of the modern humor, but there's a, a part where he's talking to Graydon, the Prince Graydon character, and he calls him Grayonce. Yeah, a fucking Beyonce joke in the middle of this medieval fantasy. I was like, I... I I stopped. I stopped the the episode. I hit pause. And I'm like, are, are you fucking kidding me? So there again, uh, a fantastic performance from the actor. But the performance is undermined by a character that is used primarily just to, to add, like I said, comic relief in a show that was nothing but comic relief. The dialogue undermined this really cool character. And speaking of characters, two more characters to talk about. Uh, we've got Ellie Bamber plays the character. We first meet her as Dove. She is Eric's love interest. Uh, she works in the kitchen. Uh, she's below his station, but he loves her anyway. And it's one of those like Romeo and Juliet uh, he fell in love with her almost instantaneously. He's talking about marrying her in spite of the fact that she's just a lowly serving girl and he's a prince. It feels like one of those relationships that is doomed to fail. But uh, and, and part of the reason why it was so unlikable, the character Eric was so unlikable, is just, uh, the ridiculousness of this swoony 
It's like Prince Valium from Spaceballs. Only instead of falling asleep all the time, he's falling in love dreamily. But it doesn't take very long uh, because we find out that the the Dove character, played by Ellie Bamber, is none other than Alora Dannon. Because this whole time, they build up in this first episode, the Laura Dannon, she was hidden away uh, to keep her away from the evil that would, would try to seduce her and, and try to take over and all this nonsense. And they let that mystery last for two whole episodes before uh, enlightening us all that uh, Dove is actually Alora Dannon. They bleached her hair blonde and slowly uh, although horribly done they reveal her to be a redhead uh, like she is in the original movie and this is one of those situations where i don't think ellie bamber did a bad job i just think she was given horrible dialogue to deliver and horrible costumes she has this one costume where it's almost like a crisscrossy sweater thing uh and they she's got these like big long swaths of of knit wool fabric going down the back of her arm all the way down to her feet and beyond one it looks ridiculous it's nothing that anybody back then would have wore let alone anybody that works in a kitchen and is getting their hands into to dough and working with fire and working with water uh, you would have got those sleeves all and everything or caught yourself on fire next to the stove putting bread in uh she she's the muffin girl she makes muffins and breads and, and whatnot uh so the costume for her was just uh, at times when she wore that green number was just ridiculous and uh, except the dialogue like the dialogue between her and warwick davis where he's trying to teach her how to become a sorceress the the empress of tears lean it's just full of so much modern humor that it's just insufferable to watch and i'll I'll talk a little more about that coming up uh this is one of the things i really didn't like about this series but like i said all in all ellie bamber i don't think she did a bad job but yeah she was another character that was just undermined and another actor that was undermined by the horrible dialogue in this movie or in this series but she does have some interesting moments uh alora dannon does uh you know while she is off trying to help rescue prince eric uh she's also kind of falling for prince graydon because he is a sensitive type he's smart you know he's the kind of he's the kind of guy that girls uh, think they want to like until the dashing guy comes along but uh but at any rate there's there's a bit of a love interest there that's kind of fun to watch but not in like a will they won't they sort of way with with the kit and jade characters it was done very innocent and it was done very much like a, i don't know if they're going to get together i don't know if they're going to see the spark between them that we see unlike the other one where you see from the beginning they're both into each other but they want to play this cat and mouse game uh the writers uh, this cat and mouse game like uh, we don't already know that they're going to be together by the end of it with jade and kit and that leads us to our our final main character the incomparable warwick davis who plays willow off good and the the titular character in this series but you wouldn't know it by watching the series willow doesn't show up until like the end of the second episode and it's just like he's just along for the ride and i I really think this whole the script the whole story failed warwick davis failed the willow character failed the fans because 
yeah, it just didn't really feel like the character that we wanted and needed to see because they did with Willow what Ryan Johnson did with Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi and just kind of made him a jaded, I don't believe in myself anymore hack. Will even says as much in some in some scenes uh, where he has that scene with Prince Graydon, the uh, Tony Revolori character, uh, where he he essentially says he's afraid people will see him as the uh, whatever the washed up sorcerer who's a hack or or the sorcerer that never was. He's ne- he doesn't feel like he's a great sorcerer, even though he does try to put on airs at the beginning. He he's full of self doubt and. That's that's not the Willow we wanted to see. We wanted to see the Willow that went off the triumphant hero and went on to lead the Nelwyn that was a, a, a great sorcerer or was at least going to become a great sorcerer. And I know if you made Warwick Davis and Willow uh, a strong male lead that that was confident and, and was a great sorcerer, that would take away from the, the female leads that Disney is trying to push. But in your Willow series, Willow should be front and center, just like he was in the in the movie. And again, he was another character that was just relegated to stupid jokes and and little one-liners that the just while some of them would have made you chuckle when it's a barrage of joke after joke line after joke line after joke line, it just gets a little exhausting at times. And and now it, it no longer becomes cute and it no longer becomes funny and it becomes a bit of an annoyance. Now I do want to mention a, a couple other characters and actors that I really enjoyed the performance of. Uh, there's Commander Ballantyne. He's kind of the mentor of the Jade character and the leader of Queen Sorsha's army and uh, played by Ralph Ineson. Uh, he does a really good job. One of the rare actors that he's actually a really good actor and he wasn't just full of jokes although they killed him off uh, about half not even halfway through the series there was graham hughes who plays silas he's a a no one warrior and, and willow's friend he actually did a really good job i, I liked his performance and and i like the character was not too comic reliefy and but you know he was he was a warrior and I I really dug that. Also, Annabelle Davis plays Mims, uh, Willow's daughter, uh, an adult version of Willow's daughter, not the original actress that played her back in the '88 film. But but I thought Annabelle Davis did a good job with Mims. What little you saw with her in Willow, I liked their interaction. I liked their chemistry. I, I liked her character. I almost wished she would have been a part of this this fellowship that that went off to fight because I thought she would have been uh, a really interesting character to follow. Uh, through this story and I, I use that term fellowship tongue-in-cheek because now that we've kind of established all these characters and and their their place in the story uh the one thing uh, as we talk about the story in in little broader strokes uh, that was the one thing that it really killed me and this will kind of lead into another thing i wanted to talk about like the first episode where the gales come uh, and they steal Prince Eric away, and they're bringing this group together to go find him, and and they quite literally make Fellowship of the Rings jokes about putting a fellowship together, and and there was there was just a couple of them that I was like, uh, are you seriously? I mean, it it already looks like Fellowship of the Rings. It already feels like you're you're putting a, a group together, much like they did in Fellowship of the Rings, but to to have the meta-ness about it, to do a joke, to play off the fact that you realize that you're doing Fellowship of the Rings was just 
Uh, it was just a sign of horrible jokes to come. And that's one of my biggest complaints of this. For all the action, for all the adventure, for all the fantasy of it. And for the most part, there were good elements to this. But it was just all undermined by the, the constant need for jokes. It felt like Thor and Love and Fucking Thunder all over again. With just, my God, just being beat over the head with humor and comedy. And a lot of the humor and comedy and, and a lot of the dialogue felt too modern. And, and that, I think, led to some of these characters giving a more modern approach to their their delivery. And I, I've seen other people talk about it. I've heard other people talk about it. And I, I've agreed with it that it felt like any conversation that you would hear on the streets of Los Angeles by a bunch of Gen Zs. And I uh, it just, it didn't feel fantasy. It felt so out of place and so awkward in this fantasy world to hear two people talking like they're at a fucking Starbucks. And and all the modern style of humor, uh, the little bits of sarcasm that felt very modern. Like I said, uh, Borman, the, the, the character Borman being forced, or the actor playing Borman being forced to give that horrible Grayonce joke uh, when they're talking about Graydon. It was just full of such bad dialogue and such bad humor. Any good acting they had in this cast was all undermined by shitty dialogue meant for a generation that it was shouldn't have been meant for. This series really felt like one of Disney's shitty teen comedies meant for Gen Z, like they're trying to bring Willow to a new generation. Well, here's a newsflash. Uh, Gen Z as a generation doesn't give a shit about Willow. The Gen Xers, the ones that grew up, uh, and maybe even early millennials, but especially Gen Xers. That's that's my age range. Uh, that you know, Willow came out when we were in our prime, <laughs> and and this is really a movie that Gen Xers love. It's the movie Gen Xers feel nostalgia for. Willow is the movie that Gen Xers have. Uh, an affinity for and that's the the generation that you should be marketing this to the generation that grew up watching willow they're the ones that want to see the next chapter in the willow story not gen z and if any gen z's do it's probably because their parents the gen xers uh, made them watch it and probably have similar feelings and, and thoughts about the original compared to this that their parents had because their parents probably instilled in them a nostalgia and a love for this original film that Disney felt uh, they needed to change for a generation that really, if they're interested in this at all, it's because of their parents and they've probably uh, learned a lot from their parents about the respect that should have been placed on this uh, this property, this intellectual property, this film uh, what is is turning out to be a franchise now. But instead of Willow, we got Wizards of fucking Waverly Place. I got a lot of Gen Z nephews and nieces. I know my shit. Now, that all being said, my, my problems with the cast, and, and it's not even really so much problems with the cast. I think the cast would have been fine if the dialogue uh, would have been there and if the humor would have been dialed down from about 11 to a 2 uh, because you did have some humorous moments in Willow. It's not like it was devoid of any humor, but it just wasn't all humor all the time. Uh, you had a little bit of humor with the with the brownies, which they bastardized in one scene where you saw uh, Kevin Pollack make a, a Baturna's role, uh, but you know you didn't see Frangine. Uh, you had Rose, uh, Rule's daughter, 
and she was annoying and just again very modern dialogue very modern sounding uh, humor and I, I just it was like they put him in there just to have him in there just for nostalgia's sake but we're going to give you a big middle finger because we're going to make this character uh nothing like what the original character was we're going to make him in our own image because disney if anything has uh, quite the god complex going on and in speaking of brief reappearances uh, from the original movie, and I don't really have any other place uh, uh, to fit this in to talk about this, but they also brought back the trolls from the original Willow, uh, much like the brownies. But the trolls are are so much different. In the in the original Willow, they were they were creatures, they were bad guys. You know, Willow was fighting the troll with the eggcorns that were going to turn him into stone. In this, they they reimagined the trolls, and now they speak with sophisticated British accents it made me think of the uh, planet of the apes parody at the end of space balls <laughs> expected the one uh you know to say space balls oh shit there goes the planet uh <laughs> it was just it was ridiculous and not necessary why you had to take this and and do it this way just and and there again it was all played for gags it was all played for for laughs and you know you've got these creatures speaking with uh, sophisticated british accents and talking about procedural things and and upper management and all that nonsense and it just the jokes didn't land they weren't funny it was stupid it took a, a really uh, creepy creature from the original and dumbed it down and watered it down and modernized it for the modern viewing audience uh, because uh, I, I don't know why Disney did the things they did with this. I don't know why the creators. Uh, I, I have to imagine Ron Howard as an executive producer on this is probably just kicking himself in the ass for being attached to to something that bastardized he and George Lucas's creation the way it did. Uh, I don't understand. I unless you know, I just want some royalties off of this, and, and that's essentially it. It was just a, a cheap payday, and <laughs> slap my name on it, and do whatever you want, sort of situation. But I digress. Uh, back to what we're what we were talking about. Oh yeah, the the humor that you got in the original Willow. And it wasn't even humor from Mad Mardigan, but Val Kilmer had a way of delivering lines with a little bit of sarcasm, a little gleam in his eye. There's that one like pratfall comedy where he's he's twirling the sword around and then slips on the snow. Uh, you know, you had humor, but it just wasn't all humor all the time. And it, it never felt like modern take on humor. But all of that aside, this did play out like a good fantasy action adventure. I, I didn't mind the story as it progressed in how they're looking for Eric, they're traveling to the end of the world sort of situation. Although that scene, when they get to the end of the Shattered Sea, I'm like Gore Verbinski and the, the writers of Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End are probably going to fucking sue somebody. But I did like how it played out as far as this this adventure, this this rescue adventure. And you got little pitfalls and they get captured here and they're, they're traveling there. And, and it played very much like a good fantasy. I didn't mind that. It's just those, those downtimes in between when like Warwick Davis is trying to teach uh, Alora Dannon how to be a sorceress. And it's just full of her being again kind of like an obstinate bratty teenager from los angeles today and it all culminates with a season finale in episode eight that 
was probably to me it was probably the best episode of all of them because that one they did dial down the humor a little they went from 11 on the humor to about eight and a half there was a lot i really liked in this final episode in this climax you've got all of our heroes in in memoriam city uh even though they didn't start there uh borman and and willow finally make it there and a comment on my my willow take on this uh, a little bit later but there was a lot of cool things that i did like about this now granted like i said there was still uh, too much humor that i just didn't like but this is probably where you got uh, the last few episodes i think you started to get some moments with some real acting and some real fantasy dialogue not enough of it and it was broken up too much by the humor. But you started getting some some good dialogue and uh, a really cool wizard's battle between Alora Dannon and the Crone. Now, I, I didn't care for the Crone so much. I mean, uh, the actress who played the prettied up version of the crone the one that seduced eric into the dark side if you will she did a fine job but it really kind of defeated the purpose oh she's called the crone and then here she is the this beautiful young lady uh okay yeah i i get it but uh but when she takes her true form as this old crone the creature design was kind of cool nothing we haven't seen before but the cg was just really bad everybody takes a shit on disney and marvel for the cg that they do uh, on some of these marvel movies uh, this was not particularly good cg but the wizard's battle between the crone and lord dannon uh, much like the crone uh it's nothing we haven't seen before but i really did like it i, I like the battle between the two the the energy bolts uh, you know meeting it's it's classic wizard battle stuff um I liked the the moment where Laura Dannon realized the power was in her all along and and she starts to power up Dragon Ball Z style and and to take on the crone. That was kind of a, one of those one of those moments where you got to you set up a little straighter, you got the chills down your back, the swell of the music. It, it felt like one of those uh, classic action moments, action adventure fantasy moments, where you're like, "Oh yeah, this is this is really cool." Kind of like you know when Mad Mardigan finally gets the sword in his hand and starts slashing through General Kale's uh, soldiers. That it was that kind of a moment for me, and and. A kind of a moment in this series that were few and far between. This may have been one of the only real times. There may have been one or two other times where I kind of had that feeling, but uh, this is one of the rare occasions. I also really dug the fight between Kit and Alora and Eric. Of course, Eric has been seduced to the dark side, and he's got the new uh, hairdo from Shortcuts, and he's all dressed in black, and he's a bad guy now because uh, a girl told him to. <laughs> so he's fighting Kit and Alora, while the reasoning for it all is kind of... Uh, it borders on hokum. Uh, I really did like this fight, and I liked the dialogue that that Dempsey Brick finally got. I finally got some real dialogue with passion, and he got to show you know his acting chops that he can act with some emotion. And it's a shame that we had to wait until this very last episode to get anything out of this character like that. Now that he's back to being a good guy and not possessed by the crone, then it, we're going to probably get the same lame 
Eric that we got in the first episode and, and some of the later episodes. But, uh, you know, I, I there's only so much of a lovesick uh, pretty boy that I can stomach in fantasy or, or any other genre. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And, and Willow, I was... I was really disappointed in how this series treated Willow for the most part, because we talked about it earlier. You know, he's just so full of self-doubt. And when they get to the the edge of the Shattered Sea, and he's like, you know, you guys go off and battle the crone. I'm a fraud. I'm just going to go home. And I'm like, God damn it. They did this to Luke Skywalker in Last Jedi. I'm pretty sure I talked about this earlier. But, you know, fill him full of self-doubt. Fill him full of self-loathing and self-pity. And, oh, I'm I'm a fake. I You know, I, I'm a fraud. And I just, come on. Why, why do you have to take these classic heroes, the heroes the kids have looked up to for generations, and then shit on the character like that? That, that sort of sh- stuff is the thing that pisses me off about what Disney does uh, with some of these properties. But we do get that moment, and then pretty much all that was in service of having that moment where Alora and Kit are kind of caught in that fantasy dream sequence where they're being seduced by the crone and 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 you got some of the best acting from those two actresses in the that moment as well but you get to the point where they've both rejected the crone but they're still stuck in this this other realm or, or whatever it is this dream and willow comes in and saves the day uh, I, i'm surprised they let a man uh save save the day when they have two strong females but uh they, they let willow have that moment in in a show that's called willow god damn it he should at least get one really cool willow moment but i really i i, I dug that moment for willow uh i, I like that they killed graydon uh, the crone kills Graydon, and we'll talk a little more about the the repercussions of that uh, a little bit later. But uh, well, hell's bells, we'll we'll do it now. This, like I said, this has been all full of spoilers. They kill Graydon off, and then at the very end, we get that scene where he's in this other realm with somebody that looks like evil Alora Dan, and you know it's probably not. It's either the crone reborn, or the crone never died, or they they keep referencing this worm that that we really like i i still don't get what all that was about they never really explain anything for for so much talking and so much dialogue and so much bullshit dialogue and bullshit jokes and little one-liners and twitter talk in this uh, they don't explain things nearly as well as they should have and i'm not even talking about just ex- lines of exposition you don't even know need that but just uh, you really just never really understood the stakes uh, of all of this from the beginning but i like that they killed graden off and then they realized that he's not dead at all and that he's going to come back and he may be the bad guy he may be the uh the one that's seduced by the power of whoever this this big bad guy may be if we get a season two. And I, I know they're at least planning a season two because we get that ending where Eric and Borman are walking off and then you got Willow and then you got the three girls, uh, Kit, Laura Dannon, and Jade. And something is said and Willow's like, I'll be okay as long as I've got my girls. And I just thought to myself, oh Jesus, this is going to be like a fantasy D&D Charlie's fucking angels 
Uh, I, it just, it, it came off. I, I talked about Hokum here a little bit. That was kind of a hokey send-off for this this series uh, and this season. But then you kind of get that little uh, mid-credit PS scene where you see the books and it's Willow Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3. So you have to imagine they're at least planning on three seasons of this. Uh, whether we'll get actually three seasons Who's to say? But there, again, uh, a lot of things I liked about this series, this season. Uh, there were a lot of things I wanted to like. I, Like I said, I've been waiting for a Willow sequel of some sort for, for decades now. And a lot of people are in my shoes that have been waiting for a Willow sequel uh, for, for decades. And, and this is what we got. And I wanted to like it a hell of a lot more than I did. I mean, for the most part. I mean, there was a lot to like about it. Uh, I thought the, the special effects were pretty good. The practical effects were pretty good. Like I said, the crone CG was a little wonky. But some of the other uh, CG effects were, were good. Uh, I really liked the the sets and the locations they filmed a lot of this in wales so you got those sprawling moors and landscapes that just are, are so beautiful and it, it really lent itself to that fantasy middle earth feel that that you want in a good uh, fantasy film or, or, or tv series so i really dug the sets and the location the sets like i said um whether it's a mix of practical or CG sets, uh, they they did a good job with those. The costumes were, eh, like some of them felt way too modern. Uh, some of them were good. I mean, I thought they did a good job with the the costuming for the most part. But then there were some like Laura Dannon had that uh, like crisscrossy green sweater thing with those. Uh, not even sleeves. They're just big swaths of cloth uh, going down the back of her arm. Hitting. I mean, if she's working in a kitchen, working with a wood fire stove, uh, she is going to catch herself on fire wearing something stupid like that. That, to me, looked like the costume designer thought, oh, that looks really good. That's going to be really striking to look at. And without really thinking about the character at all. And there were a couple characters, the the one woman who played in Game of Thrones, I can't think of her, my wife would know her name right off the bat, but she played the uh, silent sister or, or one of the sisters that was shaming Cersei and, and ringing the bell saying shame. Uh, she plays a part in this and her and this other woman, it almost felt like a medieval fantasy version of Penn and Teller because the, you know, she's really tall and statuesque and talks a lot and the other woman is short and doesn't say anything but they're all dressed in like denim they look like they and cowboy hats they look like they came out of the late 1800s like they've been panning for gold uh it just the the costuming was ridiculous in that scene and with those characters it made no sense whatsoever so uh the costuming like where i said they did a lot of good things, but then they made a lot of stupid decisions when it came to costumes. And speaking of stupid decisions, uh, the one thing I just absolutely abhorred was the use of modern music in this. Whether it was at the end, you know, the end credits, they always had some modern song. But even in the middle of action, uh, you had modern songs being played. And generally speaking, I, I can't remember of all of them, but I know for the better part, uh, most of them were all female covers of songs originally done by guys. 
And it was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Girl power. I know. Just stop beating me over the fucking head mercilessly with this. That was another big hang up I had with this is the fact that, you know, I'm all about strong female characters. I'm all about diversity. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, you know, I'm not one of these people that see diversity and see strong female characters and screaming woke or anything like that. I think there's a lot of room in fantasy, horror, and science fiction for, for diverse casting and, and for strong female characters and strong minority characters. But when you are trying to drive a point home and beating me over the head with a club like a baby fucking seal, I, I just, I, I'm like, enough already. You're exhausting me with showing me and proving to me how socially aware you are. And you're exhausting me with your incessant need to make sure that I'm falling in line with what you believe and, and, and what you think is just and true. I just, it's tiresome. It, it really is overboard. Like I said before, I, I'm pretty sure I talked about, you know, course correcting and, and overcorrecting when you're doing it. Uh, that's what Disney is all about right now. Uh, course correcting to the polar opposite degree and, and therein makes things just as bad as they were before. And I know I've talked about this ad nauseum, but another thing I really had, another problem I really had with this series is just the modern dialogue and the modern humor. And it felt like a, a cross between the Kardashians and somebody's Twitter posts. It was just that insufferable to listen to half of these characters talk. Now, some of them, they they gave, like, you know, the, the ones I don't think that could pull off the humor. Erin Kellyman is uh, not a bad actress. She's just not a very dynamic actress. She has a dynamic look, which I think is why Disney loves her. But as an actress, she's just not very dynamic. Now, she's still young, and she's going to grow into to her acting skill set and, and maybe down the road. But as of right now, I just don't think she could pull off the humor and, and make it believable. So that's why they didn't give her any lines like that. Uh, but she was one of the rare characters uh Ballantine was another character but you didn't want him being funny but for for the most part everybody else just had Borman was a, a great character and, and a great actor playing him I really enjoyed uh the performance but it was just too much comedy Willow uh you couldn't take him serious because it was just nothing but one-liner jokes he was cracking and a lot of self-deprecating humor and just a lot of nonsense that really took away from what is supposed to be your titular character. And nothing ever really felt serious. The stakes were never really set because nobody was taking this serious. None of the characters felt like they were taking this quest serious. And how am I supposed to take it serious if the characters aren't taking this serious? So those are my thoughts on Willow Season 1. I just was not very happy with it. And I wanted to be. I wanted to love this. And there was a lot to like about it. But the things that I didn't like about it far outweighed the things that I liked about it. Like I said... Too much humor, way too much humor, too way too much modern dialogue, way too many characters that I just didn't give a shit about. I keep joking about girl power, and like I've said before, uh, it's not that I have anything against or any problem with the fact that they have strong female characters. It's just the way they treat those strong female characters. They write strong female characters in this 
horribly. They're either milk toast and wishy-washy or they're obnoxious brats. And I get it. Yeah, they're teenagers and we're probably going to hopefully get some some arc of growth throughout this. But, you know, if, if you want people to really enjoy strong female leads, you got to write them like you would write anybody else. You got to make them likable. And if you don't make them likable, then I don't care if it's a strong female lead, if it's a strong male lead, if it's a strong whatever lead. If I don't like the character, then I don't care how strong they are. And that was the problem you had with a lot of these these characters in this is that they just weren't likable. Kit is just not a likable character. She's supposed to be the Mad Mardigan surrogate for this. She's supposed to be the hero. But I didn't even fucking like her. Even by the end of it, I just didn't care. I didn't care that she was Mad Mardigan's daughter. I don't care that she's supposed to be Alora Dannon's protector. I don't care because the character was so insufferable and unlikable to begin with that I shouldn't earn me caring about her fate or what happens to her. And if I don't care about what happens to her, then I don't care about the the show because she is supposed to be your big hero in this. But we'll see if we get a second season, what they're going to do. Are they going to tone this uh, humor and modern dialogue down? Disney pre it seems pretty set on just doing whatever the fuck they want to do uh, because they're Disney, goddammit, and they'll do whatever they want to do. I don't think they'll dial it back. I think they'll double down on it and, and viewership is going to fall off and we may get a third season we may not i don't even know if we'll get a second season because i'm not sure what viewership is like but i know a lot of reviewers and fans out there have absolutely abhorred this this production and rightfully so uh, you know, if you are into this and you dig it, then then more power to you. I hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, you get a second season. Uh, even if they do do a second season, I'll watch it because I want to talk about it, and I, I hope that they make it better than this first season. But I would not be surprised if we never see another season of Willow, and that's a real shame because, like I said, where they failed in in the writing of this series, and and not even so much the story, but the dialogue. Uh, they failed in how they treated these characters. It really was a, a fun story, a fun action adventure. I, I thought the story beats were were good and, and leaned into fantasy. It was just the, the characters and the dialogue that just killed the whole thing for me. So if you haven't watched Willow, check it out. Find out for yourself. Form your own opinions. These are just my thoughts. And if you, you dug it, great. If you're like me, uh, we'll see if a uh, second season is even worth a watch. Uh, like I said, I'll be watching it anyway, but but we'll find out. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Season 1 of Willow. You can check out more on our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where we're always posting trailers and articles to all the horror, fantasy, and science fiction that you love. I always like to add my two cents as well when I share those uh, various articles. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram as well. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please follow it, subscribe to it, uh, like it, uh, download the episodes, share the episodes, uh, and share the podcast with anyone that you know that loves good genre and uh, likes listening to people blather on in a uh, stream of consciousness rambling about the horror fantasy and science fiction we love and as always uh, please leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate it so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop.
Ha 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 